enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Tinder. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem that I didn't prepare anything for at the back of your video store shelf. This week, we're starting. It's a new year. It's a new month. We're starting a new mini series. It's... The films of John, we're just getting the rest of them out of the way. The films of John Carpenter, we're calling it, I Made a Thing. I did a thing. I did a thing. (laughs) I did a thing. Uh, And we're starting it off with 1980s The Fog. Tim, what, what do you feel about the title cult classic? What do you think makes something a cult classic? And do you... Uh, maybe I'm forcing this a little bit. Do you think that term's thrown around a little too liberally sometimes? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> it it justifies a lot of crap, is what it does. Right. Um, now and, and plus it's far too broad. Like now, I will say this: once upon a time, there was a video store for us. It was in an adjoining town called Portage, Indiana. I don't think we've ever mentioned Portage on this show. Good For good reason. Uh, a friend of the sh- kind of acquaintance of the show, uh, Portage. And uh, so, no, I like Portage. It's fine. Um, but they had a video store called Hollywood Video. And it was a little weird because when you walked into Hollywood Video, they would say, welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> and you really didn't have a response to that because, A, you're in Portage. Right. It, B, it bears no resemblance to Hollywood. And C, what do you say? Like, thank you? Yeah, you too. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, yeah, no matter like people always complain about like, you know, the waiter saying like, enjoy your meal. And then you say you <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, that's you know? I was going but with yeah, that. anything you say to welcome to Hollywood in Portage, Indiana is fine because um, they started it and uh, it's ridiculous. So either way, they had a section, a literally a labeled section called cult classics. Oh, so I was immediately drawn to that. And I, I remember seeing God, what movie was it? It might have been Phantasm. And I I saw it over there, and I remember walking up to the counter and being like, um, I really love this movie, and I'm pretty sure nobody else is going to rent it. Can I just buy it from you? And they're like, that's fine. Yeah, wow. go, go, go right ahead. Um, but they had, but that's the thing. It's too broad. You've got films as, as lauded, like critically lauded as Taxi Driver. Right. And then, fiction. and then you might have like Cannibal Campout, <laughs> right. which I actually have seen. And it's just literally, I'm pretty sure it's like just the effects guys like chewing on latex <laughs> and blood for an hour and a half. Um, and it's, it's awful. So, but I mean, ev- everything fits that genre. I, cause, cause let's break it down. What it is, is, or what it's meant to be is something that came out that maybe upon its release wasn't as regarded as highly as it now is, but it gained momentum in its popularity. So now it's considered a sort of off the beaten path right. classic. Like in retrospect, actually, it's the first actually. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> Cannibal Campout is a classic. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's yeah, it's sort of like a small mob mentality where it's like me and my five friends think this is awesome. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, that's that's really what you're left with. So yeah, to answer your question, it, it is kind of a misnomer because you could you could put anything in there that you wanted. Like like and, and sleepaway camp, yeah, I would say is a good example of a cult classic. Okay, so you bring up a good point. So here's the here it, it here is what we're getting at here. Here's the rub. It has to have a significant following. Uh, enough people need to gather to say, yeah, this was actually really good. Yeah, because it's it's not a cult classic if it like. I think sometimes it's it's maybe a label that's thrown on stuff that's just goofy and they don't know what else to do with it, but <laughs> right. people have heard of it. Yeah. Like that doesn't make DC Cab starring Mr. T a cult classic. <laughs> it still probably sucks, you know. None of us have seen it, so I I, I feel free <laughs> right. to, to say Because it's not a cult classic. No, right. <laughs> um so but what you need to have if we're going to sit here and try and pinpoint what a true cult classic would be, it would be something that genuinely did start out as small that should have amounted to nothing, but was catapult. Well, I'm going to here's that word again. Catapulted. Sure. I say catapulted. Wow. Catapulted um, into the, the public eye. So what would be something like that? That would be a true definition of that. Probably that movie, which I still haven't seen. You have. Um, the room. Okay, sure. So that would be a okay. So it's a it, it's we know that the production is despite uh, whatever Tommy's uh, is it Lasso Lasso yeah. His assertion that he was in on it all the time. Yeah. Okay, we know that's not true. But for it to be this sort of garbage movie that a group of people sort of like love the experience of, and then it starts to gain a momentum and people are like, Oh my God, have you seen this? And you, you're not going to believe this. Yeah. That is a cult classic. Yeah. So, um, and, and I, again, the cult classic, the funny thing about it is, is that I don't even know as a filmmaker, if you would even want that title because nobody's saying great. Nobody's <laughs> saying wonderful. They're just saying classic because it's, older yeah and cult. Well, the cult part comes from there is a dedicated group of people who will die for that piece of art sure right so they are saying it's good i suppose yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I mean it's implied in the thing it's an acquired taste yeah sure like chicory um <laughs> is that a quiet that's good is that I've, I've never had it before i can't really speak to it I but mean, i just yeah, know I've that only had it like once in coffee so. i know that coffee's more popular okay i know that much <laughs> <laughs> I say there's no chicory bucks out there as far as i can tell but um but anyhow, where we do they chicory in coffee no that's like a new orleans thing chicory is just the there's no coffee in chicory it's just no, i know the chicory there, root. no they're what yeah it's just it's just chicory it's like a drink made it's from root. chicory. Yes, and that's all it is. No coffee with it. Yeah, no. Oh, it's a right. competitor. It it's like the it's like the coffee is God the oh. Father. Tea is Jesus. Some people are going to argue with me on that part. And chicory would be like the Holy Spirit. Chicory is like the George Harrison. What, what, would, what would Ringo be? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, now we gotta we gotta go over your Beatles rankings. Ringo would be like. Um, are you putting George Harrison third? Over Ringo? <laughs> no, I mean, over all of them. Well, absolutely. Well, well no. Hey, I'll take that back. 
Well, John Lennon, number one. I'm not, I'm not taking any arguments there. And I know that there are some, but I won't. I won't accept it. Mainly for the fact that Paul McCartney still, I just read this, makes five to $600,000 per year on only the worst Christmas song ever written in the history of man. I'm sorry. Do you like that song? I mean, it's fine. Oh, my God. It's not the worst. Oh my Have you God. ever heard, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas? That's the worst <laughs> fucking Christmas song. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, that, that one's pretty bad. I used to work with a lady who list, like could not wait for Christmas and would play it on her. Like in the office, this was before businesses got cool and let you just listen with headphones. If you just did your work, it was fine. No, you couldn't have headphones on. So I just had to listen to her radio and it was Christmas music. Day from dusk till dawn, or well, the opposite way around because I didn't work overnight, right? Yes, <laughs> from dawn till dusk. Uh, and yeah, and they played that song every every two hours, so I heard it four times a day for from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe it was the overexposure for, for me. The McCartney song, well, no, I hated it the first time. <laughs> well, somebody said, actually, I just read an article, somebody actually sat down, uh, a music uh theorist, um sat down and actually explained why we hate that song so much. Like there's actual musical reasons for why that's so awful. <laughs> and I hate it so much that I want to like meet Paul McCartney and just have a, like a vest made out of lead and just have him put it on just to be like, I know that John took this for you, but I just want to see how lead looks on you because <laughs> that's where I'm at with you in the song. Oh, wow. But anyhow, yeah, God bless him. Um, I'm sure he won't be he did. with us much, much longer. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but but yes, uh, so going back to, I guess, what is maybe my ranking of the Beatles now? Um, John, okay, John is first. Uh, Paul and George. Well, Paul had such a gift for melody, though. I mean, he... I think Paul and John together are fantastic. Yeah. Are you gonna are, are you are you putting are you putting George that much higher? Is that I what I'm George getting? second? I go Paul, George, John, Whoa. Ringo. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> what? Especially you look at their post Beatles careers. I enjoy Paul McCartney's oh. work more than John Lennon's. Have you ever heard Mother by John Lennon? <laughs> sure. He had some I'm not saying he <laughs> fell off a cliff. Have you ever heard Jealous Guy? Have you ever heard Having a Wonderful Christmas Time? <laughs> Mind game? Well, that's true. That, I, I'll give you that. I'll give you Live that. Live and Let Die? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, come on. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's just. I guess I've I guess I should have just heard it once and then stopped there. That's that was the problem. It, it kept playing. Maybe I'm amazed. No, not really. Oh. But you know who loves that song? Um, God, who was it? Music the Arl. No, I think it was. Um, it was there words. was a rapper that was that said. Oh, it was the uh, the dude from. Um, oh, they did that song. Uh, oh God, it's Neil. What's his name? He was the Young? guitar. It, no, it was the the um, the name of the disco group was called. It was um, oh, fuck. It was like. Um, this is great. Still better than the fog. Whatever no, you know, we're doing I know here. that you know this. It was. Um, <laughs> it was called fuck chic. Okay. Neil something or other was the guitarist, but he said that maybe I'm amazed is one of his favorite songs. All right. Because glad he, we got there. He likes that. the idea of uh, great journey. The. <laughs> He likes the idea of an artist being like contemplating something within a song. Do you know what Dr. Dre's favorite album is? Dr. Dre? Yeah. 
favorite album of all fucking time. Well, I'm, you can assume it's not hip hop. No. Um, is it like the Muppets Christmas album? No. Okay. I was trying to go as obscure and weird as I could. It's, uh, Am I on the right track? What's that? Am I on the right track? Not really. Okay. Uh, it's Bleach by Nirvana. Oh, okay. The first Nirvana yeah, album. Yeah, interesting. His favorite, which has like negative creep and school. Like, yeah. It's a great album. Yeah. But uh, I just wouldn't have expected it. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's black or a hip-hop artist. It's just that even Nirvana fans, few of them are going to say that Bleach is their favorite. Right. But uh, yeah, kind of an interesting choice. <laughs> Sounds like a hot take. A little bit, maybe. Might have been. Yeah. He was just going to throw somebody off. Right. Yeah. Um. The beginning of this uh, point was okay. So yeah, cult classics. Cult, cult classics. So yeah, I I think that I think that sometimes it's used as an out if somebody wants to at least slap some label on something to to give it some sort of credit. But I think that it's probably a little too broad in its parameters to really. Other than if we're we're talking about something that literally, like the room, had no chance of really any sort of broad exposure without its rabid fan base. Maybe the best of all would be like Rocky horror. Yeah. Okay. Cause and I, I'm not like an aficionado, like some people are, but I don't think that Rocky horror when it came out was a huge smash no. hit. No, it was the following that kind of propped it up to that. Yeah. So that, yeah, there's a place for that label for sure. I just think that it gets used too often for something that maybe had like some recognition, but just maybe has grown a little bit. Like you don't have to slap a special label on a movie that was appreciated more as time went on. Yeah. That doesn't make it a cult classic. It just means that people kind of figured it out. Yeah. Like uh, the thing. Yeah. A John the Carpenter movie. Horribly. Horribly. We'll cover uh, big, yeah. big reveal. We're going to be doing that in our rest of John Carpenter movie yeah, series. The namesake of this miniseries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we might cover. We probably should. But also that movie feels like one, now that I'm thinking about it, almost transcended the cult classic status into just classic. Yeah. Because it's like if oh, you told sure. like that is one of the crazy facts about that movie is that it bombed and anyone who's seen that today would be like what well yeah like penultimate class penultimate whatever yeah uh, you know yes. classic the thing no one liked that that's a great point because I, I see what you're saying you can't just take any movie that has been regarded in a better light later on as being a cult classic because if that was the case is it's a wonderful life a cult classic because that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean exactly. I like to think that it is. Yeah. Well, you know parts of it are though. Like um everybody talks about certain That's one parts where people were fooled into it just cuz Ted Turner had the rights to it and he's like I'll just show it all the time and people were like Yeah. Oh, because the TV's playing it it must be good. Like if they're going, if they decided to play it for a full day, yeah, it must be a fantastic movie. Yeah, no, or it's just which it is. Yeah, it is. I'm gonna say that I love that movie. Oh my god, there's the scene with the druggist. Um, <laughs> that with the where George when he's younger. First of all, yeah. I love that kid. He's got yeah. like a sort of like raspy quality to his voice that like kids just don't even sound like anymore. And well, they, um, they were smoking then. And that right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad started smoking at twelve. So did I. Twelve years. <laughs> Are you my dad? Uh, but, I am. 
That was the whole reason why this show, like you started this show for the big reveal. Yeah. And the John Carpenter well, miniseries. Yeah. Rip off my mask. <laughs> I've never left him. <laughs> well, you all, you are taller than I am. I mean, so we, I can work with that. Um, so anyhow, that, that scene, like the guy that plays the druggist, the Mr. pharmacist. Gower. Yes. Is actually an actor from uh, silent films. And he was beating the shit. If you look close, there is blood coming out of that kid's ear. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to. That, that, he did, wasn't bleeding. No, he was. The, I've seen an interview. Did, did we talk about this on the show recently? No. Okay. That, I read an interview with that child actor, and he said that he's like, if you look close, my ear is bleeding from when he was hitting me. He, that's actually from that actor beating the shit out of that kid. And then they worked that into the script? Well, no, he was the, the, the he was always going to hit him. But well, the, yeah, but he has he's kept out of the war because of his ear. Right. But the thing is, like that that kid's So it's they, just a happy coincidence. Were, yes. Like, thank God he made the part that we are <laughs> using as acting. a catalyst to keep him in town. That's actually like, gets injured. That's like the best method actor of all time. Right. That's like some kid, like when you're 12, no one's going to believe it. You meet some 20 year old, like outside of the movies. And he's like, tells he's a ninja. And then he can slow his heartbeat down. Like yeah. on command. Anyhow, this well, kid he says you're hitting my bad ear. Oh yeah. No, he got the ear injury was from saving George in right. the, in the pond or the, his brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, Oh yeah. But, Harry. but that blood is that kid's actual ear blood? Mm, I think that's debatable, but uh, great story. But though. it's a great it, story. It is a great, <laughs> great scene. And too the much kid, of a coincidence for me. Wasn't the kid couldn't figure out like why is he like roughing like why is he going so hard? But um, yeah, like just a fucking fantastic scene. <laughs> also, that was you know the time you could hit a kid. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, you got to check out. It's, it's, this is a little tan. Bill Burr's new stand-up special on Netflix. Yeah. Mm. Good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's fantastic. Does a whole bit on, you know, he's got a little cancel culture shit, which drives me nuts. Uh, one, one part where he's like, eh, it doesn't see it kind of crazy. They kind of ran out of people to cancel. I'm like, maybe that was the whole point. Like it wasn't about just targeting anyone. It was a finite group of people who were acting this way. <laughs> Did you think about that? Uh, but he does have just a great bit about just guys who grew up in their time. Like, uh, Sean Connery, you know, he's like, yeah, where he's like, that guy died. He had eight minute send off on Twitter before some white girl was like, really, really? We're going to celebrate this woman beater. And he's like, what did he say? He was just like, oh, sometimes you got to slap him around a little bit. Like, you know, he's like, uh, the guy was like born in 1930. You know, right. every movie he saw of a woman got a little hysterical. They'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's true. And it's true, though. And I've seen that clip. And and Barbara Walters is like, you are going to fry for this. Right. And he's like, I he's don't like, give a fuck. And that was even before. <laughs> that was even before, like, he became, like, all, like, the sexiest man. Like, right. it's like the more slapping of women that he did, the sexier he became. The more hair he lost and the more face slapping he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We're not condoning. Uh, no, no. God, by any, now. We're not anyone, condoning bald. Anyone. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's in a controlled gym environment. <laughs> right. Exactly. I've yeah, I've hit so God. I punched a woman in the stomach so hard he wouldn't believe. But I'm j- yeah. Iron sharpens iron. Sharp oh. iron. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It was a one two punch with just one hand. I mean, it was it was great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, the fog. 
it's a new year. It's a new. It's a new era. Yes, <laughs> slumber podcast massacre. <laughs> so, uh, with t- does anybody call us with? Does anybody attach the with TNA? Uh, no, because it's a fun bit. I mean, it's a fun. Oh party. yeah, it is funny. Like it, it's kind of the hook when you tell people, and then they kind of give you a little sly smile. Yeah, no, then, okay. yeah. but the truth of it is, it is it. It's kind of truthful as well. I mean, we a lot of the movies. Yeah, we cover. this is very serendipitous. Right. Yeah, it works out that way. Big Lebowski. There's a good cult classic. I because I don't think did it not do that well. No, did horribly. Really, it was their follow up to Fargo, and I think people were just like, and it was another kidnapping story, and people were just like, whatever. Okay. Um, Okay. I'm gonna say I knew. When I saw that movie in the theater, I was like, this is their greatest movie. Oh, my God. Why aren't people going to see this movie? But I don't think that's reached, like, the thing where people are just like, yeah, that movie is amazing. Like, that's always been amazing. Well, I don't know. You didn't know it was a bomb, so maybe it has. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I I mean, but then maybe I just caught it on the the second half where everybody was already loving it for good reason, because it's so undeniably fucking awesome. Yeah. John Goodman being my favorite part. Oh. Um, because you know, it's, it's a thing when I love it when a comedian is so good that they don't have to be funny to be funny. Like the more non-funny they are, (laughs) the better angrier and more abrasive. You're right. So good. Oh God. Maybe we should cover that movie sometime. (laughs) I mean, there's, that's a stretch. There are horror elements in it. Are Are, there not? Are there? I mean, a guy, uh, dismembered, um, uh, what I want to say, like, uh, appendages. Yeah. But that's done. Nihilist camera. <laughs> that is scary. <laughs> Los Angeles. Right. It's a nightmare for some people. Yes. You say that to my father-in-law, he breaks out in a sweat. <laughs> well, we'll do it for him. Uh, yeah, he listens. <laughs> I don't know if he knows I do this. He's got it now. Yeah. Everybody knows. <laughs> uh, which leads us to one of our uh, most, you know, just... Hot films ever covered here. The Fog. <laughs> yeah. So first, I mean, huge apology. I, you know, it's it's literally taped Christmas as we're recording this. I thought I could th- get things prepared. I just ran out of time. Also, I watched this movie and didn't like it at all. And so didn't even really feel motivated to try. I was going to say that the title is as exciting as the movie is, but even that's saying too much. No, because The Fog sounds cool. If you're like a horror movie called The Fog, you are already conjuring up, I can't see in the fog, like, ooh, that sounds spooky. And Fog is spooky. It is. All right, let's do the Wikipedia. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, So this is The Fog from 1980. It was uh, written... Uh, by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. It was directed by John Carpenter. Surprise, surprise. It stars Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Tom Atkins. It had a budget of $1.1 million, a box office of $21.3 million. So that's pretty good. Uh, Nansom, uh, there's like an old shipwreck. Uh, and then like 100 years later... The ghosts, uh, they were they had some gold stolen from them, and the ghosts come back a hundred years later uh, to get the gold back and kill the ancestors of the people who stole their gold. And now they have one night to survive the fog. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm surprised you didn't go ahead and insert. Like, it's funny to me when there's a word that nobody knows and nobody uses, and then like it has one appearance, and then suddenly everybody uses a word like copacetic, <laughs> right. which until that like one song that came song. out. Yeah. Um, but uh, revenants. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which I, is there a difference between a revenant and a ghost? Uh, I don't know. A revenant might be more of a tangible, like a physical okay. kind of thing, which these guys are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're not even really ghosts. Right. They could have called it the Revenants and made like like one every award that there is. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. At least best actor. Yeah. Um <laughs> mm, for this one, I'm not so sure. Well, but because yeah. <laughs> Leo won for the <laughs> right. Revenant. Yes. He did already. Right. That's true. <laughs> there is a movie but, called The Revenant. But and it's good. Um this is not. Uh this is the fog. Yes, and you're right though. Fog is cool. The one of the neatest things about fog. If we're going to, I mean, I, I'm going to try to hold this back from telling all of our own personal fog stories, but <laughs> I have none. Okay, so yeah, knock I, yourself out. That was, that was the joke. And okay. um, so <laughs> listen, I would not be surprised if you had five or six fog stories in your back pocket. I, I've got one and it's really more of a, a more of a, just kind of like a general awareness. When you see horror movies and you see a lot of fog in graveyards, I think I actually was told this by a friend of the show, Dr. Renault. When you see a lot of fog in graveyards, it's kind of like, oh, what what is it like? How is it that there's always this fog in graveyards? Well, there's nothing that that naturally attracts the fog to graveyards, but it will retain the fog more than other places because, especially in older, um, you know, older uh, before the advancements of mortuary science, um, <laughs> you've got you've got the the graves themselves are sort of unsettled ground. So they've got a dip to them. So a graveyard will retain fog okay. on the surface level more sure. than like a normal flatland would. Interesting. So it's, it's entirely conceivable that a graveyard would have more fog than, than anywhere else. Um, that's my fog story. <laughs> Great. So talking sure about to become a cult classic. Yes. <laughs> Somebody see, that's why I brought up cult classic because this is considered a cult classic. Yet I've never heard anyone talk about this movie. Well, I, I now and having watched it, I know why. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's murky at best, <laughs> and I'll tell you that um, this and it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow because we love John Carpenter. Yeah, and a lot of people do. Um, but here's the problem: this is why you don't get okay. I, I know how this whole thing happened. I've read everything about the history of this movie, but I know what really happened. Oh. It's granted it's it's all just me taking a wild guess, but I know. <laughs> okay. I know. So what they're doing is John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, former um boyfriend and girlfriend, then at that point just um, you know, by the time they get to Halloween and after, it's uh just kind of working partners, uh co-writers and that sort of thing. So they're over in England and they are pressing um, assault on precinct 13 and they're like, okay, we're over here. Let's go to Stonehenge. Now I know I fucking bet you all the money in my pocket right now. What happened? If you, if it's the 1970s and you're going to Stonehenge uh -huh. and you're John Carpenter, you mean are you stoned? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> he got a little high and he went to Stonehenge. So what, as the story goes, 
and this is the true part, they were there at Stonehenge and then kind of off in the distance, they saw a really thick fog that was just sort of lingering at the edge of their their uh, frame of vision. Yeah. And John just said, what if there was something in that fog that started the idea? Yeah. What should have happened is that they should have come down from that, had some awful food to eat. <laughs> And then realize that there's not really a movie there, but they ran with it. Yeah. Why? Because they just did Halloween and why shouldn't they? They had one of, at that time, the most successful independent film of all time yeah. in their back pocket. We can do anything. It wasn't it cool when I said, what if there's something in that fog? Let's write a movie about it. So well, see, I I think that concept is good. It's fine. I think there I mean, is okay. a good movie in there. Yeah. It's just but- the execution of this one is questionable. Well, you could say that I have I have some problems with okay, I'll I'll meet you there, but I have some problems with the way that they went about, about the fog. <laughs> right? <laughs> which I guess is an overall statement. I I have a problem with the fog and the fog. <laughs> um which by the way, interesting word. You would think that on the East Coast that they would pronounce it like fog, <laughs> right? But they actually say fog. Fog. Yeah. Like I, I lost my hog in the fog, <laughs> which sounds like Chicago. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like German. Hog in the fog. Was <laughs> my hog in the fog. Das ist nicht toll. Nicht toll. For our German listeners. Um, anyhow, <laughs> moving forward. Um, so here's the problem. They they decide that they're going to go ahead and make a movie out of it, and they're going to bring in some other elements because they know that they they at least know that they've got to have more than just fog. I'm not so sure about that. That's the thing that we'll get to. That's one of my biggest problems with this movie is that they thought that the fog needed something. Yeah, but we'll get to that. Um, so there's this story called the Trollenberg Terror. It's a British film from the 50s, and there's monsters inside of clouds or something like that. So that's a little bit of a, of an influence. Um, and then there was this shipwreck called uh, from a ship. Uh, I don't know shit. It just, every time I read about ships, it just lets me know how much I don't know about them. Mm-hmm. It was apparently a, what do they call those schooners? Schooner. Okay. Yeah. One of those, whatever that is, uh, some type of ship. It's a sailboat sailboat. Okay. Well, why didn't they just say fucking sailboat? That it was a sailboat. Did you see mall rats? We were talking about the comedies you've never seen. Yeah, earlier. Well, I ha- yeah, it wasn't my. Fa- I mean, you know, All Kevin. Right. Yeah, but uh, he's working on a sequel. Yeah, we might have him on the show, so I don't want to say too much. But um, <laughs> so anyhow, there's this schooner called the Frolic. Now, the way that John Carpenter and his people will tell you is that it was it was in actual history a ship that was carrying some gold or some goods and that the people on the shore purposely shipwrecked it kind of like uh, created some lights or whatever to make it seem as if it was a Harbor, but they purposely shipwrecked it so that it would ram into these jagged rocks and then they could go on and plunder it and, and take its goods or whatever. Well, that didn't happen. I mean, if you, if you research this, like I did, that didn't happen at all. Yeah. The frolic, did crash, but only because of its own accord. Like it just fucked up yeah. and it ran a, a, amongst some, some rugged rocks and then it started to sink. And then the captain and the crew just got in rowboats and rode in and reported the shipwreck. Yeah. That's what happened. Now, this is where it gets a shade interesting though. There were six people inexplicably that did stay on the ship. Oh, now I don't know if they all died and I don't know why they would have stayed on. 
or if they were tied up or whatever, or what the reasons might've been. So that part's a little cool, but if you just look up the frolic, there's no, there's nothing about foul play at all. Yeah. There's, there's not even anything about it being purposely shipwrecked whatsoever. Okay. So not only do we have a movie that is like, doesn't have enough like guts to really stand up. We've got an origin story that really isn't true. Yeah. The, well, it's just John Carpenter. He saw a boat and he was like, what if there was something bad about that boat? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the Titanic, John. You just <laughs> put the weed down. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, what if something happened to the Titanic? <laughs> Um, which actually turns out was a great idea for a movie. Um, anyhow, um, so that happened, but, um, so they're, they're going to do this movie. It's part of a two picture deal. So in Hollywood, like a lot of times what happens is, is that you kind of want to strike while the iron is hot. So if you've got a great movie like Halloween, that's doing well, you don't just say like, I want to make one more movie. You say, I want to make five more movies or two more movies or whatever. So he had a two picture deal with embassy. One of those movies was escape from New York. That also might be considered a cult classic. Yes. Um, yeah, and that is a cult classic. Yes. And this movie. Now, what's cool about this, and it was the same cool thing we talked about this in Halloween ad nauseum for three hours. The the film was shot in a, like an anamorphic format. So everything looks ex, like expansive. Yeah. Well, it looks expensive and expansive <laughs> and expansive, like I'm saying expensive with the southern accent. It looks expansive. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does. It's got a broad scope so that it looks epic. It's usually the format that's reserved for like war films or, yeah. or things like that. So um, so it, it it looks great. We've got a beautiful setting in the, the northern coast of California. Um, you know, beautiful, not really like sandy beaches, but like a beautiful nautical town, which I know that you're like you're a big fan of like you love it. There's something that when you go to those places, you like the feel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing the ship in this movie. I was like, yeah, that's my jam. Like I love a good, I love a old maritime nautical sea shanty. Bring it on. But I even love if it. it's, even if it's not a movie, when you go to these places, you personally, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. When you go to these like seaside towns, yeah. you, f you feel something different there that you like. Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, maybe it's just a, you know, such a stark contrast to what I'm used to here in the flatlands when you go to like a cool harbor town and, you know, there's just a ton of piers and you can kind of like walk down and, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's a completely different vibe that I've, you know, I've never really been a part of. Sure. And that I don't think is, well, I can't say it's not celebrated because Jesus, there are plenty of old shanty sea time stories, movies and things like that. Uh, but I mean, maybe not romantic. No, it is romanticized. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, <laughs> is that like the, so like if you're in one of those towns, like, is there, is there a different like vibe to the town being a seaside town versus like any of the places that, that you've, that are inland? Um, Yeah. Yeah. But again, I haven't been to enough where I can be like, it's because of that other than like, I'm not in Indiana anymore. You know, do you aspire to have a boat at all? No, no, I would be terrible at maintaining a boat, but I would love to like work on a boat. Okay. If, if I were younger now, I think that's something that I would like doing. Huh? Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Even though I don't like fish, I don't like the smell <laughs> of fish. 
Uh, just something about working on like a fishing boat seems exciting. Dangerous. I probably would work on it for a day and be like, what the fuck was I thinking? But you know what, though? You could be like, that's such a... And I, I, we have a friend uh, who's from the East Coast, and he's worked amongst you know commercial fishermen and and kind of understands that whole vibe like i do like the idea of like if you were one of those commercial fishermen you probably have like a bar that you go to that you're gonna fit into and then when some douchebag walks in that's not a commercial fisherman you're like who the fuck is this guy (laughs) right like i like the idea of that sort of like camaraderie and that hardship yeah but i but i'm with you like anybody that i know that owns a boat bitches about it as much as they do like actually like enjoys having it (laughs) yeah but I do think it's cool. Like, and there's like a saying: like the the two best times are of owning a boat is when you buy it and when you sell it. <laughs> Something <laughs> yeah, like okay, that. No, that's yeah. that's funny. <laughs> but you know what? What's crazy to me is the freedom of it. Like, if you want to just okay, so you know, yes, we're kind of in the middle of the country here, but we're also by the Great Lakes, which makes up seventy percent of the fresh water on the entire planet Earth. Wow, a huge amount of water, and so. If you, I love the freedom of it. Like if you want to just go out to one of the great lakes and I'm not saying it's the safest thing, but if you just want to drop anchor and you turn on your little white light or whatever, yeah, um, you can just fucking sit out there if you yeah. want to, I mean, go down. Yeah. It is a very nice, it's like, cause yeah, like Lake Michigan that we live by is so massive. It is. People freak out when they go to the ocean, right? But yeah. if you grow up around here, now the ocean is still impressive. But if you go to the ocean, you'll be like, it's like, it looks like Lake Michigan. Right. Because you look at Lake Michigan and it's, uh, you know, wall to wall water. Yeah. There are parts of, of the Great Lakes, certainly. I mean, this might sound like a stupid thing to say, but for, for those of you in, in different areas. Hi, Steve. Um, <laughs> for those of you in different areas of the world, like you can go out to the middle of Lake, even not even not even other Great Lakes, but you can go out to the middle of Lake Michigan so far that you see nothing, nothing right. but water. And you would never think that for a lake. Right. That's how massive these these bodies of water are. Um, but, uh, so yeah, no, I, I, I haven't experienced, it it certainly doesn't have the, uh, uh, traffic is maybe not the word I'm looking for, but like the bustle of any of these ocean Harbor communities. Okay. Cause yeah, we do, we live by plenty of harbors, but they, they have very different feels. A Lake Harbor is not the same as an ocean Harbor. It's not the sea. (laughs) No, (laughs) I don't get all gruff and talk yeah. like this. Yeah, like a like a tempered Irish accent. Right. Um, but <laughs> which no one has in this movie. You know what? I was watching fucking Die Hard last night, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, and I'm I'm so glad that I have a, a venue of which to say this. How is it that a movie that takes place in Los Angeles? Now I get John McClane's character, and I get. Uh, his wife's character, because they're both from the East Coast. Yeah. Did you notice every other fucking person in that movie has an East Coast accent? <laughs> no. It's like if you have a working class job, like you all of a sudden have to have an East Coast accent. Yeah. Well, at, L.A., like, everyone just moves to L.A. Well, no sure. But grows like, up and lives there. Uh, like for this particular incident at Nakatomi Plaza, everybody is from the East Coast. Like it's it's crazy. It's like they feel like if they say their lines and not have an East Coast well, accent. Some of them are from the Far East Coast. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's very true. And that has its own accent. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's very true. But um, 
But yeah, so so, it, but in this movie though, like I'm not even sure if the, I'm sure there is a Northern California accent, but we get we do get a nice grouping of people. I will say that for this film that we have a nice cast of actors, some of whom that we love dearly. Yeah. So, um, first off, let's talk about Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. Very accomplished stage actress, um, like hugely accomplished. In fact, I think she originated the role of Rizzo, I believe. On yeah, yeah, I believe you're right. So really, really talented actress. And um, she happened to be dating uh, and then eventually married to John Carpenter. So I'm not saying that's why she got the role. She's great in it. I, I really enjoy her performance. I know Adrian Barbeau mostly from Swamp Thing. That's where I remember okay. from. But um, but I mean, she's been in a slew of things. She was on Maud. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, for our younger viewers, and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> so, but no, she that was prob- that was probably like her first fame thing. Yeah, would would have been Maud. Um, but uh, anyhow, so she's in and she's great, and she plays a DJ who has you know she's kind of sunken everything that she has into this radio station she's the only one that works there (laughs) at all and um apparently and and this was from a time that a lot more people listened to the radio yeah yeah (laughs) and uh meeting anyone and uh (laughs) that no i i won't say that i still listen to the radio but um anyhow so she's got this gorgeous radio station that happens to be in an old um light tower watchtower yeah lighthouse yeah I knew I'd get there eventually. <laughs> um, and it's gorgeous, like I said earlier. I mean, the setting is nice. Um, we also have Tom Atkins, Thrill friend me. of the show. Yeah. From uh, Night of the Creeps, from Creep Show. Uh, Halloween 3. Halloween 3, um, which I, I read a nice interview with with Tom Atkins, and he just sounds like the nicest guy. He's from, he's from Pittsburgh, and um, he only got into theater because he was – he went into the Navy or, or he was going to go into the Navy. And then he had heard that the only people that really do well in the Navy are people that also go to college. So he also went to college and then that's where he met some girl that was in theater. And he's like, yeah, I'll try it out. And it turns out that he liked it and he got the bug and went from there. This was his first feature film. He had done a couple things, yeah. but he was friends with Adrian Barbeau, went to the screening for Halloween, met John Carpenter. John Carpenter was kind of putting some things together, some thoughts about this, and eventually called him in to read. And uh, Tom Atkins is fantastic because he's um, doesn't really have the looks of a leading man. Um, he's- Dude, <laughs> I don't get the Tom Atkins thing at all, <laughs> at all. Because this we've covered two movies now where he somehow immediately beds the the very hot half his age woman and half his age is math literal yeah I'm saying literal here yes Halloween three and this one this one is more like okay whatever like Halloween three is just kind of gross yes and creepy it is, it is. <laughs> but. Because uh, he's also married in that one. This one, he's just, I'm like, whatever, dude. Right, right. <laughs> and, and and it's nice to see, okay, so so the, the, the person that you're speaking to that he that he uh, bangs in probably what is the best conclusion of any hitchhiker <laughs> situation right. in any film ever is that he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis. Normally, the, the hitchhiker stabs you. Right, exactly. 
You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> Insert nautical sex joke, harpoon, whatever you want right here. Yeah. 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 Um, so, but she's not a hooker. She is just a, a, um, <laughs> we'll get to hookers later, but um, she is just a uh, fishing implement. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's just a hitchhiker and she hasn't hitchhiked for that long. It's almost like she was. It reminded me like maybe they made her a prostitute in the beginning, but then they switched it to hitchhiker. <laughs> right. She's like, she's like apologizing. Like I haven't been hitchhiking hiking for that long. <laughs> like I'm not dirty. Um, so anyhow, he picks her up and they have kind of a funny exchange because they're both great actors. Yeah. So the dialogue is a little goofy, but um, then literally we cut to something else. And then the next shot we see of them, they're in bed together. Post, yeah. Post coitus. It's, yeah. yeah, it's right after someone dies. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> but right. yeah, it is kind of weird because there is no, I mean, w- the way we leave them is his truck windows get like shattered. Yeah. And that must be a huge turn on for one of them at least. Right. Yes. Well, let's let's get down to the nitty gritty here. I, we'll get this part out of the way because it'll explain a lot. When this, the rough cut of this film was finished, John Carpenter watched it and, and was just mortified. It was awful. And this is by his own admission. He said, I, I know I don't have a movie here. Like, it wasn't even that it was bad. It was like, there's just, this is non-existent. Um, and so they had to do a bunch of reshoots. They went back. He grabbed John Houseman, who you remember from, what would that have been? The Arthur movies? Wasn't he like the like was he the butler maybe in those like the old he's an old British guy that we all know now how (laughs) this is just me being a nerd but how in the beginning the, 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 the film opens with sort of a campfire scene. So this campfire scene has this old guy who they try to make a little salty. Oh, yeah. I meant to look up this guy to see what I knew. Him yeah, from. that's John House. Yeah. I mean, he's a classically trained actor, uh, Shakespearean trained actor. And he was in a bunch of 80s movies. And he usually played like really posh, older British people um, or, or certainly British. If you needed an older British dude, you got John Houseman. Yeah. Oh, I think I knew him from Scrooge. He's like the narrator of the Christmas Carol they're doing. In the TV studio. Okay. Yeah. That's how I knew him. So the thing is, though, like he's like telling this tale of this uh, something that happened in the area, but he obviously has a British accent. So it's like, how long has he really been for? Like, this is the guy that really knows the lay of the land who maybe just got here like 10 years ago from England. Like, but uh, I'll go with it. He has a nice sounding voice. And so they had to, uh, uh, Carpenter inserted this intro of him telling like the ghost story of what ultimately is the story of the fog with this shipwreck and that sort of thing. Also, he's telling the story and he's saying that it's just before the stroke of midnight, five minutes before midnight, which is the witching hour, which they're always referring to from between midnight and one in this movie, which show me the fucking children's camp (laughs) that is still raging at midnight, telling kids terrifying stories of leper pirates. Kids awake. Like there's not one who's just like, I can't make it. (laughs) The adults are awake for Christ's sake. Um, yeah, by that I, I assure you, if you know anything about camps, the counselors would have put those kids to bed a long oh, time yeah. ago. Um, but anyhow, so that's happening, and we get our intro and get a little bit of John Houseman. And then, so we've got Adrian Barbeau, we've got Tom Atkins, we've got Jamie Lee. We also have Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Yeah. Vivian Lee. Yeah. 
fucking, as they say nowadays, Nepo babies. Yes. That's what Jamie Lee Curtis is. <laughs> there you go. One of them damn Nepo babies. <laughs> yes. And uh, and I don't even know, like, maybe that was just for fun that they threw her in there. Like, Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, it's kind of like, like. What was she doing? Like, like I a, can't remember any other movie she did around that time. That's a reversal of coattail writing right there, where <laughs> right. it's like, you got Halloween because your mom, and now your ma is happy just to get work. <laughs> right. um, so she's in it and looks horrible. She's 53 years old, 52 <laughs> when they started filming this, and she looks 80. She does. She looks That's all she was. 52. Oh my God, dude. Dude, it's yeah, it's not that Yeah, she looked like she's got that old person skeletal look in the to neck her. thing like yeah. where those two there's two neck things in the like on either side of the throat. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> like yeah. Um she looks old. She and everybody does. Tom Atkins is 45 in it. He looks older than that. I mean, he, I guess Did I say it already. He needs the mustache. Oh. Like I never, I never thought in my life it'd be like put a mustache on that guy. Yeah, if you thought Tom Selleck needed the mustache, yeah, which he does, yeah, he doesn't need it as much as Tom Atkins. Um, Henry Cavill, he doesn't need it, but no. looks good with it. No, he does need a job though. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna real struggle. Who who's gonna hire Harry Cavill now? <laughs> I don't know. He's gotten a little. There's a little bad press with that too. What with Henry Cavill? Yeah, like uh, some women complaining. That he's too handsome or what? <laughs> well, just that he's is inappropriate and almost impossible. To work All right, with. now I've had enough of this <laughs> cancel culture. Yeah, uh, stop it. <laughs> Anyhow, so he was. I've got. I literally. I was so disgusted by how everybody looked in this movie. I actually literally wrote it all down. <laughs> um, so anyhow, yeah. Uh, Tom Atkins is 45. I mean, that, that guy struggled with a little bit of a complexion problem when he was younger. So, I mean, I can't hold that against him. But um, even Jamie Lee, who's only 22, uh, you know, looks a lot older than 22, but still not old enough to be banging Tom Atkins. Um, either way, they're in it. We also have Hal Holbrook. Yeah. Also from... Creep Show, where Creep he was Show. married to Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> Absolutely. And... Hal Holbrook sucks in this movie, by the way. Whoa! He's the one guy I like. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he plays a character. Bit, I'm blaming the movie. Like, I don't think they had shit to work with. The And I, I agree with you. Like, I like that Hal Holbrook, at least, he's sort of like, he's the priest of the town. He's related to, like, his grandfather or great-grandfather was the one that was involved in the original shipwreck. That is that started all the bullshit for this whole thing to happen anyway. But as a result of that, he's sort of grief stricken and kind of takes to drink and is sort of disaffected by everything. But because he's making an actor's choice to be sort of like grief stricken and withdrawn, it kind of it just takes the energy out of it when he's like not even reacting to shit happening. Yeah. Like in the beginning, he's trying to urge people about like, this is what happened. This is why all these things are going on. But after that, he just fucking checks out and it kind of kills the energy a little bit. But so we got him in there again. I saw this 12 hours ago. I barely remember (laughs) anything from it. Is anybody else in this movie? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's... Dude, you know what Adrian Barbeau is in? Now I know. Okay. Cannonball Run. Yes! And she, yes, she would show... Okay, little little Andy finally just like crawled out of his recesses and was like, here's where you knew you were straight. Right, yes. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that they, she said that she was on uh, Circus, of the, Circus of the Stars, and she was dating John Carpenter at the time. And she's like, I don't know why they think that I'm athletic. Like, why do they want me on this show? And he's like, as long as you're bouncing, nobody cares. Uh, and that's not my words. That's John Carpenter. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I've told this story, but it was it, it, Tom Hanks was on like the last week when Letterman was on NBC, and he was telling a story about. He doesn't watch a lot of TV, but when he does, there's only two things that make him stop. One is Elvis movies, and the other is cleavage. And he does a he like mimes like flipping through the channels. He goes, "Oh, is that Adrian Barbo?" And then sets the remote down, <laughs> kicks back. <laughs> yeah, right. And she was known for that. And the funny thing is, is like if we're really going to just talk about boobs for a second, not like the biggest boobs in the world, but like they're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the thing. Like, I mean, shit. You you can look at TikTok now. And it's well, nothing but yeah. gargantuan breasts. Yeah. <sighs> that just seems to be forced onto my feet. I don't know why. Lose your concentration. Yeah. For a like, please, none of, more cooking videos. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like 1980, they were like, these are wow. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. We're spoiled. We're spoiled. Right. Right. But at one time, they were something. It was like probably the whole reason why she was in Cannonball Run. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but but she really, I meant to say this though, she really does do a great job. Here's, now let me really dig into my problems with this movie. So there's, there's two separate issues of separation that are a problem. One of them is that the main one is, is that the fog itself is not the killer. The, the fog is like a harbinger. The fog is like a messenger of, and it contains these revenants, these ghosts of these these lepers who were shipwrecked and now they're coming back to to avenge yeah. the the plundering and the yeah. and their murder. They had their gold stolen. Right. So they're coming back to collect and the problem is is that the the movie is called the fog. Fog and smoke in and of itself is interesting. But we're sort of trained in this movie to always fear the fog, but the fog can't do anything to you. No. The fog itself does nothing. Well, but they house. It's like the mist. Sort the of. The mist itself is not sort dangerous. Of. It's the things in the mist. Right. But the but the way that they talk about the fog, and I, I get what, you, trust me, I, I understand what you're saying, but people fear the fog in this movie like as if that itself is going to come <laughs> Right, like it's acidic. The problem is, is that because we get a separation between the fog itself and that which it inha- or that which inhabits it as these sailors, we don't know much. We get a lot more time spent with the fog itself, <laughs> less time spent with the the murderous sailors in it to the point that we don't know shit about them. No. We don't know. We don't really connect with them you as never a threat. See them really. You never see them. They're all silhouette, which is cool. Like at the beginning, because yeah, you had told me this movie's a real snooze fest. Yeah, and this was another one where I started it and I was like, actually, I'm kind of digging the atmosphere and the way that ship shows up, and then the guys are just like standing there still. Yeah, like that's creepy as fuck. And I was like. Eh cool we're gonna have some arguments about this movie but no because uh, then you just like that continues you don't you never see them there's like one there's like one close-up of one of them with their head turned and they got like worms and shit in it but it's like they spent no nothing of the budget on any of these sailors they're constantly 
in fog, and when they're in the fog, they're in shadow. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking shadows in the fog. Now, here's where some nerd listening right now is going to be like, whoa, wait. Mike Myers doesn't say anything, and, you know, we don't, we just, we only know a little bit about his background and blah, blah, blah. But it's like the thing is, we get with Michael Myers, we get that POV. And yeah. plus, we see him a I lot. I see him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, he and have like a, cloud around him as he walks around right exactly and so the 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 issue is is that because the fog and the entities within the fog are sort of i mean they might go together but we're expecting for the fog itself to be something but then even the guys in it really aren't don't seem that dangerous. I have a note in here where I'm like, I think I could literally take all of these guys. And that's just not me <laughs> right. being a tough guy. But like if I had like a baseball bat, I think I'd be fine. Yeah. They don't really move that fast. We don't see hardly any close-ups of them. We don't see them sort of angered or like a scrunched up face or malice filled or whatever. They just seem sort of neutered as far as like killers go. Yes. So we don't we don't feel a lot of tension from them no i agree now the the and and the other thing is the fog there's a point where adrian barbeau who is sitting on a distant in a distant lighthouse is literally telling people like it's at the stop sign now <laughs> no no you don't know that like you can tell when it came from the water to the beach and that right. is it it's turning left down chestnut <laughs> yeah right it's stopping for a snack. Yeah, it's slowed down from full gallop to a trot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's garbage. Now, I'm going to get right before because I don't want to forget this. I love this. when she's really just using her radio station as like, someone check on my kid. Yeah, exactly. Like 877 Westmore. And she screams it for what seems like 15 minutes. Meanwhile, cut to this is why. You can tell that this was a bad film because it's so stitched together in some parts there. We didn't mention that there is some big anniversary of the town going on. Right. right. Yeah. Okay, it's so also their hundred year anniversary, which big deal, hundred years. So a uh, hundred years, it's their anniversary. And so there's this gathering downtown. That's who um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, her mother is playing the part of the, the townswoman who's like, you know, filled with civic pride and putting this together, yeah. you know, knows all the people in town and yada, yada. So there is a part in this movie where Adrian Barbeau's character has been screaming, non literally screaming nonstop for 15 minutes about somebody save my child. Then we go to, we cut to the actual like gathering, the nighttime candle vigil gathering. Yeah. And the cop is like, We've been listening to her, and we think we should probably call it a night. Like, or drive like crazy to where her son is being killed. But yeah, it's it's really really stitched together. There's another problem here, though, and and I think it's kind of a bigger one. While we have a lot of really good actors here, this is the problem. Actors are are literally like the worst people on the planet. Like, literally. Lesser than animals, the most indulgent, the most grotesque and self-important people that you will ever meet. That's what an actor is. And you if you let them off their short leash, they will fuck it all up as fast as you can say action. And here's the problem. You've got I'll give you an example. Jamie Lee, who I like, by the way, as an actress. 
There is a scene where she has encountered a man who is dead, fell on her, and his eyes are out. Yeah. His eyes have been taken out. So she is in shock. She is relating her fear to Tom Atkins. And the line is, did you see his eyes? And it should be said, like somebody who is terrified, who should say it like, like, did you see his eyes? Like, like, oh my God, like I, I, I'm processing this. Did you see his eyes? And even if you wanted to bring it down a little bit and be like, like, did you see his eyes? Like, like a kid, like I'll, I remember I was in a, a, a video store one time and I overheard a kid say, um, mommy, do you remember Iron Man? <laughs> it was first of all, the cutest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. But like, it had that sort of like, innocent vulnerability to it to where she should have been like like did you see his eyes like just like she can't even process it herself no 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 we don't get that we get jamie lee like looking off into the distance mr or mrs you know hot shit from halloween and you know big shot in tinseltown looks off into the distance like it's a shakespearean (laughs) soliloquy and says did you see his eyes (laughs) Like, no, bad, bad Jamie Lee. Like so newspaper on the nose, smacker. Like, no, 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 bad. She's, she's just ru- like, she just thinks that she's hot shit. Did you see his eyes? <laughs> like, that's just awful acting. When I was in seventh grade, I was in a Christmas Carol for school play. And I played Scrooge as the young man. And there's, you know, one, I don't remember what the thing was, but I kind of like, turned out and kind of did that a little bit. And even in seventh grade, the director was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I'm like, isn't that what you do in acting? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I'm going to be Hamlet. I'm going yeah, to turn like, out to the audience. This is not your fucking monologue. Like just say that line to the person. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I've only directed this 75 times. Just do it. Like I said, At least she still cared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. Good point. But um, so, yeah, we get we most of the acting because the the actors themselves are talented people is fine. But by even by the time we get to the final scene where every the fog has now trapped everybody in the church. Kind of moved everybody to where they can be to actually stop it, which so I mean, really, even then, like the fog isn't really trying to just out and out kill people. Right. And we get to the church and like, we get these, like I've, t- I've told, we've talked about this before, like shitty ensemble scenes uh-huh. where it's like, it's kind of like not one person can be great. Like they all need to say something. So nobody ends up being good and right. everybody's just awful and taking turns, like just handing a baton. Like now it's your line. <laughs> now it's my line and it's awful. And um, it, it's just real garbage. Not to mention the fact that our, deposit of gold that was plundered was forged into this cross, which if anybody knows anything about metals, it's brass. Um, But more than that, there are some scenes where you literally see, and I paused it and I rewound it and I paused it and rewound it. Wow. Rough sawn edges to where it's literally a fucking two by four (laughs) that somebody took metallic spray paint and painted and it's garbage. Um, and not to mention that the film call like, uh, culminates in the lamest decapitation that we've ever seen or heard. Yeah. Speaking of hearing things though, 
and words that are new and, and get a buzz. I thought that Stranger Things was the only thing that uses the word squelches. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Except for every closed caption and every movie we've ever covered on this show. Yeah, now, like, we yeah, like, that is a joke for us now. Yeah. Like, We're always, ah, there's the squelch. Yeah. <laughs> you right. have not noticed this yet? Oh, no, my but God. I, I every only... fucking movie we cover, at some point in the closed caption, something squelches. Maybe you're in the middle of like some really passionate like uh, intimacy, and you just like like squelching would be the uh, the yeah. close caption. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of Eyes Wide Shut. I watched yeah. that the other night, <laughs> right? <laughs> or just stirring macaroni and cheese, just squelching <laughs> underneath. Yeah, um, but anyhow, so the, the movie, oh. the movie. While we didn't walk you through. Uh, where are we at for time? Uh, I'm like, we're an hour in. Okay, so the movie, while we didn't watch I mean, I'm just going to do it. a little behind the scenes. I'm so disinterested in this movie. I'm literally doing our Gremlins episode release today. I'm doing the Instagram write-up for it while you're talking about this movie. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's more than... Jump in whenever you want. I mean, I, I, I've got... Believe it or not, I have eight Yeah, I felt like there was something else I wanted to say, but now we're kind of off the topic now, so that's not even important for me to bring up that I had something to say. One thing... Thing I will say, uh, Adrian Barbeau d- kind of like just in her own presence showed a frustration that we've all had. You ever had a hard time starting a lawnmower before? Yeah. She's trying to start a generator. So frustrating. I've, I've tried to start a lawnmower so hard that I switched to my left hand. I'm right-handed. I switched to my left hand because I'm not a mutant. I, I switched to my left hand. <laughs> and tried to start it and literally like injured my trapezius yes. for the next three months. <laughs> it is a pain in the ass, but it is kind of like, I don't know if there's something sexy about a woman, like trying to start a lawnmower and like, kind of like, yeah, like some yelling about it. Yanking motions. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on what you're into. Yeah. Right. Here's something I didn't get. So the, cause Nancy was, she actually watched this one with me. I feel like she'll watch all the Carpenters except the last one, but I'm going to make her watch it with me. Big, big reveal on that later. (laughs) Uh, But like she was retaining way more of this movie than I was Uh, because she, you know, she'd be like, oh, he's going to be the the sixth one. I'm like, sixth one. What? She's like, because six people have to die. I'm like, what? Of who? Like I like it, right. I did not comprehend like the underlying what the fuck was going on as it was going on. Like she was explaining the movie to me. Now was I paying the best attention to this movie? Not after the first half hour. Kind of checked out a little bit. Sure. I will be honest. I was also tired. Yeah, you know, it was just a bad time. It was bad timing to cover this movie. But thankfully, it was this movie because I don't really give a shit about. Yes. It. But so it. It's to my understanding that the Revens are going after the descendants of the six who sank the something Dale Dove something. What was the ship called? Dane. Dane. Yeah. Yeah. The frightful Dane or whatever it was. Um, which then would mean, I mean, I guess if you don't know the backstory you do feel in danger, but really no one was in danger except for the six ancestors, right? Or were they just indiscriminately killing anyone, but definitely wanted to kill the six ancestors? Yes. Okay. No, you're right. I mean, because of the two guys on the boat or the three guys on the boat at the beginning, were they related in any way? Maybe. (laughs) 
Maybe you were supposed to know. No, but really, <laughs> I mean, but the, yeah, and I, I showed, that's the problem. <laughs> I, I was watching closely. Was and, the old lady who was watching the kid? Was she related? Like Hal Holbrook? Yes, definitely. I know he was the grandson of like the the main. They called them the conspirators. Who didn't a little nimby didn't want a fucking leper colony in their backyard, so we're like, let's sink their leper boat, <laughs> right? And then will our neighborhood be clean and pure? Um, but yeah, Adrian Barbeau was she a descendant? This is why it's important for you to move out of your no, hometown. Because, no, because she Get said the she was fuck from out Chicago. of your hometown. You're right. So oh yeah, they, and they kill her husband too. Her? And and. The, at the very end, they're going after her and the people at the church at the same time. Right. So how many guys are there? Yeah, there's a lot. Apparently. Yeah. But there's supposed to only be six. A lot of lepers. Which. Oh, of the people. Yeah. Of the ghosts. Yes. So what did they split up? There's four over at the church and two after her. Wait, there are only six ghosts. Yeah. Because it was this. That's why they wanted to kill six people. Because it was six people. They got killed on the shipwreck. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. So we're talking about six people. All right. Six lepers. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I'm sorry. Look, I'm sorry. Leprosy is like, that's one of the things where if you're having a bad day, you're just like, thank God there isn't polio and leprosy anymore. Right. Like, it could be a lot worse. How do we get rid of those? Polio and leprosy? Yeah. Leprosy, I don't know, unless they just were that. Like, you want to talk about cancel culture. It's like, you live over there Right, now, yeah. And you don't come out. Um, But, like, that's kind of like the other splitting thing about this where it's like, you hear that the motivation wasn't so much to plunder the gold. Yeah. It was to keep them from starting a leper colony. That's why they wanted to wreck the ship and kill the people. Yeah. Right. And that's uh, kind of reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. The real ship had polio. Is, I mean, that was, it was a cheeky rhetorical question. Yes. Vaccines is the answer. Uh, yes. Thank you, uh, Jonas Salk and your inflated ego. Uh, uh, <laughs> but the real ship though, did have porcelain and opium. It was an opium schooner okay opium running schooner from no wonder they had so much gold it was literally a slow boat from china (laughs) which my dad when we ordered our first microwave there is a phrase i have not heard in a long time when we ordered our first microwave it was from a place called united consumers club which was like the first like like you join the club and then you have more buying power and it keeps the prices down and yada yada so he ordered our first microwave oven, and I remember him being on the phone and yelling at these people saying, did you send this thing on a slow boat from China? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, and but this actually was uh, only to crash, uh, but you're lepers, so sorry. <laughs> funny thing, though, while you're looking stuff up and writing things, um, yeah, I'm not looking at <laughs> there are some funny names in this. Right movie. now I'm writing hashtags for our Instagram post on Gremlins. So when you're listening to this, you can go back and be like, oh, will you put I hashtag mean- writing hashtags right now? Yes. Yeah, okay. So we have some funny names in this movie, character names. Which They're- no one will get for a week. Right. This could yes. be great. <laughs> We have a Dan O'Bannon. One character is named Dan O'Bannon. Of course, we know Dan from he worked with John Carpenter on Dark Star, and he was the director of Return of the Living Dead, one of our favorites. Um, uh, Tom Atkins' character is named Nick Castle, who was the actor who played Michael Myers in Halloween. Oh, right. Uh, We have a Tommy Wallace, who was obviously one of the editors and art designers for John Carpenter, also used as a name in Halloween yeah. of the little boy. He directed three, starring Tom Atkins. Mrs. Kobritz, who is the babysitter that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. 
that was the last name of a producer for a TV movie called Somebody's Watching Me that John Carpenter directed, also starring Adrian Barbeau. Like, oh. this is just... This is just like a... Because this is Adrian Barbo's first movie. Yes. Film, right. First, okay. yeah, feature film. Yeah. And Machen, the John Houseman's name uh, in the beginning of the film, that was the pen name of Arthur Machen, um, based on that, who was Arthur Jones, who was a Welsh mystic in, eight, in the 1890s, who wrote The Great God Pan, which Stephen King calls... Maybe the best horror story in the English language. Whoa, what story? It's called The Great God Pan. It was written by this guy named Arthur Machen. His real name is Arthur Llewellyn Jones, uh-huh. but a Welsh guy, but he was an author and a mystic. I don't know how you like get to be <laughs> like claim being a mystic. Yeah, well, it's a self-appointed title, I believe. <laughs> right? yes, <laughs> you don't really exactly. have to go to a class for that. All you need is like one person. I got a degree. You just need one person to like agree with that. And it's right. like, that's yeah, exactly. that's a win right there. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've just got a, a faulted thing from the beginning here. And, and I think what it is, is that, and, and who can blame anybody? You get enough talent involved and it, it kind of feels like it's foolproof, but apparently that, that doesn't happen. Now, where it did kind of happen in a cool way, um, there was once a meeting for Creep Show, and there was uh, some of the people that we're talking about today. There was an apartment, and in this apartment, you had uh, Tom Atkins, uh-huh. Adrian Barbeau. Okay, like, you know, people that we know that we love. You also had uh, Tom Savini in that apartment. You had George Romero Damn. in that apartment. You had John Carpenter in that apartment, and you had Stephen King. All in the same apartment. All in one apartment? All in one this apartment. This rivals the Kathy Bates, Cohen Brothers, Sam Raimi apartment. It does. Damn. I, it rivals and probably supersedes. Well. <laughs> Tom Atkins wrote, if a bomb went off in this apartment, horror as a genre would be in deep shit. And that <laughs> that is absolutely true. You kill uh, all those people. If a bomb went off in that apartment, they'd call it the fog. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They did call it the fog. Um, yeah. Um, a little letdown, major letdown on my part, because I started reading about the, I had never seen this movie and I'm like, well, maybe, you know, I'm the asshole and I just never saw the fog, but then I started reading about it and you'll see, like, just look up the fog and you'll see like, oh, great horror movie, classic, um, 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Bullshit. You didn't watch it? No way that many people liked this movie. Absolutely that is, this not. Is, that is a total wretch, because a lot of these Rotten Tomato ratings, especially for older movies, they didn't go and like dredge up ratings from 1980. A lot of them are like newer ratings on on reviews or whatever, you know, uh, or rewatches, I guess is what I should say. They are reviews of a rewatch. And there has to be a, well, it's John Carpenter. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. It does have these elements. Score's pretty good. Score's good. Score's okay. Score's, yeah, it is, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but, you know, there's no way anyone or, or that many people watched this and were like, yes, I'm going to put this as a good movie. Absolutely not. And and here's the thing. Even Roger Ebert, who, of course, because it's horror, panned it, but... Um, but he's like, he said the most ridiculous thing. He's like, um, but this John Carpenter is showing a lot of promise. I'm like, did you fucking see Halloween? <laughs> like y- you can say that about the movie that he just did. Yeah. 
you know, two years well, ago. But that had only been two years, and you know, you can't be like, "Wow, legendary filmmaker John Carpenter in 1980." Well, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fair. That part is fair. But what I would have been, what I would have said as Roger Ebert would have been more like, "How the fuck <laughs> did we go from Halloween to this?" Sure. Because it just doesn't even have like Halloween has such a, uh, it's got that sort of like what like I like to refer to like that blanket feel. It's like as soon as you put it on, you feel like you're wrapped in that blanket, <laughs> right? That warm blanket, and and it's it unfolds the story in such a way, um, sort of of gently, sort of uh, just step by step, that it just reels you in. This movie just felt. Half the time, I didn't know who anybody was. I mean, I, I put it together. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're completely lost. But it's like, why does Tom Atkins care so much about the guys that were gone? Even those are his buddies, I guess. Yeah. The, guy, the ship that never came back, which is, to clarify, the first ship that is uh, the victims of the frolic or yeah. the, the Revenant or whatever. They should. why did it take place over two nights? Right. That's another thing I didn't understand. Yeah. Like, well. It should. I thought it was all going to be one night, and then it was like, yeah, it strikes one o'clock, and they go, "Whoop! I guess I'm off the clock now." Like yeah. a good union, good union revenants. They're like, yeah, right. I don't work past one. I'm done. <laughs> right. Yes. No, but I'll be back true. tomorrow. Right. When I finish everything up. Right. Like it's not like the first instance was a two night affair. Just no. It just it's just there just to set it up. So that we can be, you know, then the we have certain people who are suspicious about what's going on. I mean, also mind boggling that it only took them because no one knows anything until the next morning anyway. Right. I mean, it takes 12 hours for them to be convinced a fucking ghost ship is going to show up in the fog and kill everyone. And mind boggling that in the extended opening credits of the film which I'm sure this was added in just for extra effect too, because to, to their credit, um, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill knew that aside from this being a shitty movie, that it also wasn't going to compete with like gory or stuff. So they knew they had it added in a lot more gore. The fucking fir- the rough cut didn't even, Did ha- <laughs> it didn't even show the deaths of the first, that boat that we're talking about, that yeah. first uh, victims of the, didn't even have like show how they died. It oh. just was like that they died. They never came back. Oh, And okay. then they actually filmed them dying because God forbid it's a horror movie. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, we get this weird ass after John Hausman does his weird late night, midnight camp storytelling. We get the fog rolling in, but not doing like, I'm going to slash you and cut you with these hooks that we all have. But it's like affecting like mechanics <laughs> and like making shit go haywire oh, right. in the beginning. Yeah. So we get this long opening credit sequence where it's literally like showing the credits. And but it's like affecting like you know, a mechanic, like at a car repair shop and stuff like that. Yeah. We don't get any of that in the rest of the movie. Oh, you're right. It's fucking weird. Yeah. It's so weird. And and it's disjointed and it's stitched together and it's, uh, it's lame, man. I mean, the movie is lame. And how come the one guy, as, as far as another thing that happens and then is never revisited, because, yeah, they find one of the guys from the boat. It's the eyes, the guy with his eyes. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like that where the, the coroner is like, this guy sh- looks like he's been underwater for a month. Yeah, that, that part was cool. Yeah. Um, and 
God, on our shortest episode ever. You even peed before we started. Go, oh, probably all this talk of seawater. Uh, so what am I trying to say? Okay, yeah. So, but that guy then is in the coroner's office, and Tom Atkins is talking to the coroner in the hallway, and then that body gets up and goes to attack Jamie Lee. Apparently, he falls or can't make it. Like I don't know. They don't really tell you what happens, but he doesn't kill her. He just kind of falls by her, but he's able to get up and walk around. But this is nothing. Any other victim of these uh, revenants never get up and walk around again, at least to my uh, memory and understanding of a movie I watched 12 hours ago. Um, I don't know. It's uh, very inconsistent. I did, however, kind of like the concept of when the guys were around, like there's something about the air and how cold it is. Because when, when Tom Atkins is talking to the coroner out in the hallway and the coroner's giving him all this rigmarole and he's, and this is as our, our corpse is starting to move. And he's just like, did you, do you notice how cold that it got? Like, I kind of like that, like this idea that they brought this sea chill with them. Um, and it kind of hung around like because when they're inspecting the boat, they find at the beginning it was that was our first victim. They're like, why is it so fucking cold in here? Yeah. Um, but- and also nobody mentions the fact that like, you know, that that corpse gets up off the gurney to go attack Jamie Lee. Yeah. And it does a couple of things. First of all, it walks a handful of feet. Uh huh. It ends up drawing a three on the ground. Oh, right. It does. Why does it do that? Because that's the third per. Like it's killed three. Like oh. I'm the third guy. So it's trying to tell you like how many people. <laughs> I know it's weird, but like I forgot Tom about the three. Atkins. I even made a joke like we draw a butt on the ground. <laughs> Nancy's like, no, it's a three because she was already in like yes, I killed six people. <laughs> right. Um, so like. Um, yeah, like maybe that was his like lamenting his body count. Like he only like like only three people. What's wrong with three? Um, yeah. Uh, fuck, oh, fuck you, Tim. You're cute. Uh, but anyhow, so but if Tom Atkins runs in with the doctor and nobody, and they're kind of like like sort of coddling Jamie Lee. But it's like, how about the fact that the guy walked six feet over there? How about the fact that he drew on the ground? It's almost like I covered all of this while you were peeing. Even oh yeah. <laughs> Yes, but even if a six-year-old a speaker in the bathroom, yes. so you can hear what I'm yeah. saying. Right, I'll just record from the I was bathroom. Say, that will just encourage you to take more people. You'll be like, I'm not going to miss anything. Right, um, but yeah, like even if a six-year-old with a crayon wrote a three on the floor of a hospital, people would have a problem with it. Right. Let alone a dead man. But. Um, but yeah, so But my mo- point was no no one no other victims ever get up and walk around. Yeah. Yeah. And also it, it there, there's times in the movie where it feels like the fog has to enter into a space and then the guys are there which that I get the sense of that that they they the fog sort of houses. Yeah. Them. I get that. But it's like other parts of the first part of the movie or 80% of the movie, they're like knocking on the door, like having to come through a doorway. But at the very end in the church, they just seep right in there. And then there they are to set up the lamest decapitation ever. It's the whole movie is, is soupy nonsense. 
and um, <laughs> it just sucks. It, it's just a shitty movie. I mean, can we? I, I Do hate you to recommend say that. it? No. <laughs> Uh, it, it probably my favorite, wow. my favorite non-recommend <laughs> of all time. R- really? B- b- because I feel st- most strongly about it. Like, I'm not saying it's the worst movie that we've ever covered. No. But I will say that, like, I it's probably my strongest non-recommend because, A, there is a slew of other John Carpenter movies that you should see before this. Yeah. Number two, because... You literally aren't missing anything. For God's sake, we haven't even mentioned that Nancy Loomis is in this. Right. Nancy, who played Annie in Halloween, who is cinema's hugest nihilist, cares for nobody and no one on this earth, like earthly plane, insults people to their face, and is maybe not quite as like uh, abrasive in this, but still just doesn't give a shit about anything. But I don't blame her because she has no part. She is just literally following Vivian Lee around, right? To kind of like help round the townspeople up for the hundredth anniversary. Yeah, she's like her assistant. She does nothing. No, she her literally she her cute, character. Though. Yeah, Let's... I like. Yeah, how she gets that big bouncy curly hair <laughs> right. all the time. I think it's a mix of naturally curly hair and curlers. But that's me contemplating that as far more interesting than anything in this movie. Yeah, humidity too, probably. Well, yeah, that I mean, too. A lot of fog, yeah, a lot of moisture in here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but, um, but then again, like, uh, apparently we're supposed to believe that there was that much much moisture in Haddonfield, Illinois, which there isn't. But um, either way around it, uh, no, you don't need to see the fog. You can keep on saying that you've seen it and not see it, and you're better off. Yeah, just tell people it's a cult classic and move on. Yeah, Be like you don't need to see it. It's a cult classic. And you're not in the cult, right? Oh yeah, just laugh a little. Be like, oh, yeah, cult classic. Yeah, and then they'll they they too have not seen it, right? So you'll just both lie to each other, and then talk about something else. Yeah, better off that way. Cool. All right, that was the fog from 1980. Join us next week when we cover a movie you should see. I'm already going to recommend it. From 1988, They Live. John Carpenter from our John Carpenter series. I did a thing. (laughs) Yes. Which is probably the least horror of the movies we're going to cover. Well, no. I mean, I I don't want to give anything away. (laughs) From the John Carpenter series, I promise John Carpenter doesn't suck huge giant (laughs) shaft. Right. Yeah, listen. No director, you know, Steven Spielberg made Ready Player One. You know, no one hits. Right. That's true. Yeah. But then I saw The Fablemans. That's fantastic. Is it really? Yeah, it's really The one good. that his parents always wanted him to make? Yeah. Yeah. About his parents? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always thinking about themselves. Right. Those people. No, yeah. but it is very good. Yeah. Um, but no, no, I uh, <sighs> kind of wish I'd watched that again last night. Yeah. Or I also recommend checking out Glass Onion on Netflix. <laughs> We're just talking about to, other things. Yeah, I'll, I'll recommend a whole bunch of other movies that I've watched lately. Not this one, though. Yeah, not this one. Glass Onion's good. What else did I watch? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just don't watch The Fog. And um yeah, we're we're better things yet to come. This this is kind of almost as if we planned it. We're just going to get better as we go. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we might get better, then maybe backtrack just a hair and then get really good. Yeah. 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 You backtrack with a George Harrison, then you get like really better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I get it. I get the George Harrison thing. Uh, 
so yeah check out our website slumberpodcastmassacre.com shoot us an email slumberpodcast at gmail.com check out all our other stuff huge thanks to our patrons you help make this show possible we couldn't do it without you uh next week they live 1988 tim do you got anything else to say about the fog i do um let it be known (laughs) let it be known and and mark this down somewhere somebody that there is a scene where some people have at least heeded Adrian Barbeau's call to go save her son. And it's Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis. They get her son. They get into the truck. And there is, especially if you watch on closed caption, (laughs) (laughs) it's worth it. Tom Atkins is the first human to have authored the quote, reverse, reverse. And I know you want to say it again as soon as I say it. Reverse, reverse. <laughs> yeah. Break it back now, y'all. <laughs> Crisscross. <laughs> Crisscross. Yes. Which would have been really confusing driving directions if he had done the whole thing. <laughs> like they actually just get consumed by the fog. <laughs> All right. Fuck this movie. Happy yeah. New Year, Happy too. New Year. <laughs> Bye. Bye.